is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. Questions like, why does everyone love to Haiti Dinah? How does Minnesota have so many Fortune 500 companies? What's the story behind Minnesota Nice? We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. What's the first place you take visitors when they arrive in Minnesota? For me, it's the Stone Arch Bridge. It's always the Stone Arch Bridge. You know, it offers these panoramic views of the St. Anthony Falls and the riverfront mills, which made Minneapolis historically an industrial powerhouse. These 21 stone arches have been standing for more than 130 years, which is a feat here in the Twin Cities, but also they've been in the current of the Mississippi River for more than 130 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a smart tour guide. When I have visitors in town, I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about when I'm taking them around to our landmarks. So I'm very happy that we had a reader ask us, why does the Stone Arch Bridge cross the Mississippi River at such an unusual angle? You can see it if you look at an aerial photo. It's not perpendicular to the river, but travels diagonally into downtown. Before we delve into the history, let's head to the bridge and see what people there think the answer is. I've never thought about that, but you're right. Why does it do this? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. A train can't make a 90 degree turn when it comes across the river. If it's coming from down this way, it's going to have to bend. The look of the whole building, all the buildings, you know, it's just for looks. So it's for like the panorama? Yeah. Because of train trucks serving meals from whatever point of delivery on one end or another end. So it's just basically comes to the right of the mill factory. I would also think that maybe it had something to do with the sediment and the rocks that are that it's, uh, the pillars are on. The mills were here. They had to get across the river from the mills. They're probably the foundation underneath the bridge is built on some solid ground or solider ground. That's what I think. Is that right or wrong? I'm here with Dave Wiggins, who is a former employee of the Minnesota Historical Society and the National Park Service, who spent decades developing programs to promote the history of the riverfront. Dave, thanks so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm happily retired now, so I have to share my time. (laughs) All right, so let's go back in time to the 1880s, okay? Minneapolis is rapidly growing. It's about 46,000 people, so not a huge city at the time, but rapidly expanding, and they have this railroad problem. what's, What's the problem there? Well, Minneapolis, as many people know, is kind of in the middle of the country, and we're in a great position for milling all that flour and lumber and sending it off to the eastern markets. But the rail system has this weak link right across where uh, it crosses the Mississippi River in Minneapolis, and the only place really to get across is this rickety railroad bridge at Nicollet Avenue. And uh, so this choke point in this huge east-to-west transportation system is something that uh, James J. Hill identified as a really good place to own. <laughs> okay. And so was it whose idea was it that we need a new bridge then? Is it everybody kind of coming into agreement on this, city leaders and what have you? Well, I think everyone realized we needed a new bridge. They'd been working on new bridges ever since the city was started. And uh, they put up a suspension bridge in 1855, another one in 1876. They didn't mm-hmm. last that long because the city was just growing so fast. So this idea of a new railroad bridge was something the city recognized, but it was also a bigger piece of James J. Hill's uh, expansion 
in the railroading. Got and it. James J. Hill understood that this connection between the, the wheat fields in northwestern Minnesota and beyond and, mm-hmm. the, uh, and the mills in Minneapolis and these East Coast markets is going to be a great piece of the transportation system. Right. So we just need to improve this connection at Minneapolis, and that's where they got to build the Stone Arch Bridge. Okay. So Hill gets to work on this bridge. He's got this engineer, Colonel Smith, Colonel Charles Smith. So what are they thinking? What are some of the um, design considerations? Because, you know, there was going to be a depot, right? And so they could have tried to run this above the falls. But what were some of the obstacles with that? Well, there are a lot of different things to factor in here. One of the big things was that the falls was very fragile. It had nearly, uh, well, it had collapsed in 1869, and they had put in a lot of supporting infrastructure. So they were afraid of building above the falls because you punch big holes into the limestone rock up there, the whole thing might go out. Um, They also had the issue of the mills uh, crowding in along either side of the riverbank using that water power. So in order to sneak it into the milling district, they kind of had to turn it to run alongside the river. Uh, So that gave them this unique crossing where you come across at an angle and curve it a little bit more. So Mm -hmm. by the time you hit the the west side, you're coming right along along the riverbank where they can lay out the tracks. And then by 1885, they put up a depot to join Mm -hmm. right at Hennepin Avenue. Because the depot would be at Hennepin Avenue. So we have tracks or or a big rail yard over in the Dinkytown area. And it's kind of how do we get from A to B. That the other problem with above the falls was there was also lumber, right? There was some sort of lumber issues. That was the third factor in sending it below the falls instead of above the falls because Above the falls, you had all these floating logs were still coming into the sawmills on Hennepin Avenue. And and this was uh, uh, something they thought would maybe choke up, if they built a bridge above the falls, it would choke up the whole river there, and you'd have a big log jam. That still happened, but Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, didn't interfere with the railroad traffic downstream. Okay. So, and Ray Lowry, who I should note wrote really a definitive history of this in the 1980s, he pointed out in his um, history of the Stone Arch Bridge that most railroad bridges of that day were very fragile timber structures that trains traveled very slowly on. And and this was not the idea for the Stone Arch Bridge, right? No, the Stone Arch Bridge, like everything else that James J. Hill did, was uh, it was done at a level of quality that other railroads couldn't touch. And it's just because he didn't really understand how he was supposed to make money off railroads. He thought you made it by shipping things. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was making running money off railroads by selling their stock and barely getting a train to go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Hill was really in the shipping business. He'd been doing it since the 1850s and down on the docks in St. Paul and, and the Red River Octart trade. So he knew that shipping things was how he wanted to make money, and he needed good quality to do that for years and years to come. Mm-hmm. So that's how he built this bridge, unlike the other railroads that were just trying to satisfy their stockholders that they made this goal this month. <laughs> right, right, right. And in and, and all of our uh, Tribune, well, the Minneapolis Tribune archives are all uh, digitized now, and there's this great little clip where this reporter goes into Colonel Smith's office, and I think it was in St. Paul, and gives them this huge Q&A, which they, re- they re- reprinted verbatim in the newspaper. But one of the questions was, why don't you just build an iron bridge. And he said, Smith said, because Stone Arch bridges never fall down or burn up and trains can be run as fast on them as on the ground. So speed was a huge factor here. And so how did, when this bridge opened in 1883, how did it really kind of revolutionize sort of speed and and getting around? Well, getting between Minneapolis and St. Paul was always this big challenge for the Twin Cities, but it was starting out just as a pedestrian route and moving as fast as an ox cart, you know, in the 1850s. So only 30 years later now, we're looking 
had trains going um, so fast that they can get now between Minneapolis and St. Paul in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they weren't stopping along University Avenue picking up. They were like LRT. They were just shooting over there. And that that, that was a good 10 times faster than you could do it earlier. So the other thing, Smith was such a good engineer that he understood all of these torque forces that go on when you're you're doing a a heavy train on a bridge at a curve at an Mm -hmm. angle. It's going to push on the side of the bridge. So he had to engineer that to withstand that kind of force, too. Right. That's one reason it's stone and not uh, another material. Well, and just back to the layout considerations, I mean, if you it, the depot's now gone. It's Where is approximately where the depot was today? Well, there's uh, still a, an opening in the landscape there uh, right between the, the post office downtown mm-hmm. and the Hennepin Avenue Bridge and the river over mm-hmm. on the west side. There's still a hole right. where the depot used to be, and that was sitting up above a bunch of tracks on the, the river uh, level there. Right. Um, and then they moved it uh, across Hennepin Avenue. Uh, he rebuilt it as the Great Northern Depot right. uh, uh, in 1910. But it was uh, from 1885 to 1910, this was uh, the way you got into Minneapolis. Right. Unless you wanted to take the Milwaukee Road, and then right. they, they'd insisted on their own depot nearby. <laughs> but but, but uh, the trains <laughs> could come in very smoothly then from coming in by the Dinkytown area, coming in and then running parallel to the mills and up to the depot. If, you, if, you, if we saw the depot today, it would all make much more sense to see how the bridge is designed, right? They, how it's laid they out. They wedged it right in there. You know, they used every inch that they could. They even mm-hmm. kind of built into the river a little bit by putting some extra fill in there. They, they mm-hmm. really took advantage of this site. And they knew it was going to handle, you know, 80-some trains a day in, in and out of here. And that, right. that, that's a terrific load. You know, we look at the, that amount of traffic. This is your main transportation link for the region going on right here. Right. So the Stone Arch Bridge opens. Um, not only, so speed was hugely improved. But then there's trains, as you say, coming in. I mean, 80, what was it, 80-something by the 40s, was it? That's correct. So this was basically how people entered Minneapolis, and they would get this vista of the falls. But that was sort of a coincidence then at the end? Well, Hill didn't do it just to impress people, but it was a pretty good side effect. And uh, the mm-hmm. people in Minneapolis were very happy uh, to, to show off the mills that they owned. And, and all the, the city leaders uh, were just delighted with how this was a good statement about Minneapolis as a whole. That right. We're all about quality here. We do everything the best. Here. Right. And so it shows up on all the stationery and all mm-hmm. the publicity for the city. As a visitor experience coming into the city, this definitely made the kind of impression that we now try to make with our airports. Right. This is, a, you know, this is a cool place and you want to come here and invest your money. Right. And it just as an aside, because I was at the Minneapolis Institute of Art the other night. If you're ever there, I think it's on the third floor. There's a the platter that they gave to Hill is sitting on the wall there and it's really tremendous, that right? That terrific Tiffany platter that they commissioned as a gift of thanks uh, for what he had done for the city. And, you know, it was mutually beneficial. It was a win-win. It made a lot of money for Hill. It really helped the city of Minneapolis. And it was one of these pieces of infrastructure that worked as infrastructure, but it also worked as a symbol of the city, as, a, as an image, as a piece beyond just moving trains around. This right. had something more. And I mean, the other thing is that, you know, we think of this as kind of a local landmark and sort of a, you know, this is something that's very iconic with Minneapolis. But not only is this one of the oldest structures sort of in the Twin Cities and in, in Minnesota, especially large structures beyond buildings, but I mean, this is more than just a local landmark. Right. I mean, this really has some national significance. Well, it's a national civil 
civil engineering landmark by designation, and it sits in between the, the Washburn Mill and the Pillsbury Mill, which are also national landmarks. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a sign that this whole district is representing a national story, really an international story, because this mm-hmm. was shipped from here to the world. So what happened here was uh, something that connected to people all around the world, and we, we want people to do when they go to the bridge now and walk uh, and around uh, looking at all the restored mills and kind of the signs of life around the riverfront now is is to think back that it wasn't that long ago that this was a wild waterfall and then within you know about a 30 year period this transformed into this huge mm-hmm. industrial engine to transform the region right and that stone arch bridge is still there as a piece of that big story of tra- regional mm-hmm. transformation well and, and just i know i'm skipping around here but when the bridge opened, I mean, I can't, I have to imagine it must have been overwhelming. You have this sort of small city and this bridge that even now is a very large city we consider really monumental. I mean, how do, do we know how people reacted to that? Well, I think you have to put the 1880s in the context of the 1860s. You know, we just gotten over the Civil War. Okay. And the, the divisions in the country were terrible in the sense that that war was was preparing us for some greater new glory, that we were going to become this big new thing. And mm-hmm. it, it was was evidenced in Minneapolis. You know, they all these veterans that fought the Civil War helped to, you know, some of them helped to build, this, build the Stone Arch Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, certainly the people who were bossing them around had been officers in the Civil War, and they mm-hmm. knew this was a big accomplishment, but they knew it was a positive accomplishment. They, right. From their view, this this tr- industrial transformation was what America was all about, and right. here they'd pulled it off. So it was kind of like a moonshot for right. them. You know, here here was this vision. They they saw it, and they got it, and now it's a big cash machine. They're yeah. going to get rich. And I think people should just go look at some of the photos of when it was being built and, and when it was finished, because you actually get a sense of just how industrial and sort of undeveloped the city still was at that point. It, it was amazing to me that they built this bridge kind of like the Romans would have built an aqueduct. It mm-hmm. really wasn't that much different. They pumped out some cofferdams with a steam engine. They mm-hmm. brought the stone in on trains. But the, the way they were assembling it was pretty much all hand labor with all the industrial accidents and dangers of the workers. You know, it was not that industrial uh, construction, but what it did is allowed the, the city's infrastructure to enter a whole new era. Got it. All right, great. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming in. I think we learned a lot today, and um, I really appreciate your expertise on this topic. Well, get on down there and enjoy it. The weather's nice in the winter. <laughs> All right, thanks, Dave. Bye. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, and our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.